0: If you have uh, your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and grab those or take one of the pew Bibles that you have today, and I want you to turn it near the end of the, the Bible to a little book called James. We're going to be spending some time there today. Uh, gentlemen, if you want to learn more about James, there is a Bible study at 6.30 every Tuesday here at the church. That is 6.30 a.m. every Tuesday. And uh, the guys get together and they're right now they're going through the book of James with one another so uh, if you'd like to do that show up for that Um, let me ask you this have you ever had in your life one of those moments where later you look back on it and you thought to yourself what was I thinking anybody have one of those moments don't look at your spouse right now that is not an appropriate time uh, to look at your spouse but uh, I'm sure you've had that we've all had a moment or two or 20 or 30 or 200 of those moments in our life where we look back and, and thought to ourselves, what was I thinking when I did that? For example, I tend to lose things. Carol says amen to that. So, um, and so I like to put things in really safe places so that I don't forget where I put them. Anybody else do that? And then my wife and my mother off amazing help to me by asking questions like, well, where did you last have them? Well, if I knew that, I'd know where I put them. No, right? Or, or my personal favorite, well, they have to be somewhere. Thank you. Yes, I, they do have to be somewhere. So um, uh, maybe this person was just like me and thought the really safe place to put their keys was, look at this picture here. I'll let you catch up a little bit. That would be the safe place to put their keys so to that padlock. And he probably thought later on, what was I thinking? Uh, sometimes we have some, what we think are some really great ideas, but the practicality of that idea uh, falls a little flat. Like maybe this woman that needed a new piece of furniture from Ikea... Didn't plan so well, right? Uh, how was she going to get that new bed home? And she was probably thought, "What was I thinking?" Or this guy here. I'll just pause to <laughs> let you figure that out. So, what was I thinking, right? You've probably had moments in your life, maybe not that moment, but you probably had moments like those, and uh, where you thought, "What was I thinking?" Probably, um, most likely, some of us went out to, uh, to eat this weekend <coughs> and we thought, why did I eat all that, right? What was I thinking of eating all of that? Is it just, just me? No, I don't think so. So maybe you've even looked at some old pictures of yourself back in high school and saw your hairstyle and thought, what was I thinking? What was I thinking about that? Um, maybe you looked at your clothes you used to wear and think, what was I thinking? Right? 20 years from now, you'll look at your pictures of, of you now and think, what in the world were we thinking? Right? Um, in college, I once bought a gaming system, and I'm dating myself here, uh, to our teenagers here, um, No, it wasn't the original Pong, not that old. But I bought the original Sega gaming system a week before finals. What was I thinking? Right? Uh, Maybe you procrastinated, maybe you missed a deadline or something that uh, a little bit more serious like that. Maybe it's a previous relationship that you've had and you thought, what was I thinking? And see, I think we've all been there. I think we've probably all said that before. We regret doing something in the past that we wish we hadn't have done. And we probably acted on some sort of desire, like what we were doing at the moment, it seemed like a really good thing. It seemed like it was fun. It seemed like it was worthwhile. But now hindsight is 2020, and we realize that that decision we made in the past was a really, really bad idea. Or perhaps you've already thought back to a time when you submitted to a temptation, which led to a sin. And you think back, what was I thinking? We knew at the time it was wrong. We, we did it anyway. We, we knew we shouldn't have acted that way, but we still did, did it, right? And we said those words, and we, now we can say, what were we thinking? Or maybe it was somebody else's decision, and their moral failure caused you pain. See, our decisions are never made in a vacuum. They don't just affect us. Our decisions affect people that are around us. And so sometimes you have those moments where it's been somebody else's failure that causes you to go back and say, What were they thinking? it's affected me now. And so for three weeks now, we've been looking at this margin in our lives. And in particular, we've looked at that time margin. We looked at that financial margin last week. And I believe a lot of us would admit that we are overly busy and we are overly strapped financially. What a lot of us hate to admit is that there's a lot that are walking really, really close, really, really close to that moral margin. We haven't put enough space in between us and moral moral failure. There's not enough room. There's not enough room in between us and temptation. There's not enough room in between us and sin. Now, what's common For all of us in this room here today, everybody here has failed. Everyone in this room has fallen from grace. Everyone in this room has acted on a temptation. Everyone in this room at some point or another has yielded to our desires. All of us have. All of us have fallen short. None of us in here have lived that perfect life. Unless we have maybe a newborn baby in here. Now... We're we're part of uh, what we call a holiness denomination. The Church of the Nazarene is one of the holiness churches. And, And if you know what that means, it's basically this, that we believe that the power of God is greater than the pull of sin. That's it in a nutshell. What that means is, is you don't have to sin every day. You don't have to. Now, there'd be people that are going to argue that with you and say that there's nothing that we're going to do. We are fallen creatures, and therefore, we are going to sin every single day. And I would say that is a lie. That's not true. You don't have to fail every day. See, we would say that the power of grace of God is too strong in order to let you live in constant defeat. So, We do not believe that we are powerless against sin. We do have a power over sin. Now, where we tend to go sometimes in a holiness denomination is we go a little bit too far and we say that our sanctification or our holiness also frees us away from temptation. And we think that if we're living a good enough life or if I'm close enough to God, then I won't be tempted by things any longer. And again, I think that that's a mistake. I think that Christians are tempted all the time. Write this down here, it's in your notes. Even Christ's followers face temptation. Even Christ's followers face temptation. So if you're facing temptation... You are in good company. We all do. We all have temptations. But write this down, Christ's followers have a new ability to resist temptation. We all face it, but we don't all have to give in to it. There's the difference. See by following. Jesus and allowing him to live and allowing him to work in our lives, you have a new ability now that you didn't have before Jesus. You have the ability to resist desires, you have the ability to deny a temptation. But that also doesn't mean that you need to be careless. It doesn't mean that we need to allow ourselves to get too close to an area of temptation. The greatest way to resist a temptation is to avoid the temptation. And so that's why we're going to, why it's important for us to take some time to discuss this moral margin in our life. That space in between us and our temptations. Remember we've established this definition of a margin and that's have that margin is what you have beyond what is necessary so a moral margin is distancing yourself away from that temptation distancing yourself further away than you need it's putting distance between yourself and, and what you're being tempted to do. So let's get into our scripture today. It's in James chapter 1, and we're going to start in uh, verse 12 and go down to verse 18. And this is what uh, James says. Before we get into that, a little bit of insight into the book of, of James. For, for James, faith... The Christian faith, faith in in Jesus, wasn't some sort of abstract idea, wasn't sort of abstract uh, proposition, uh, but James teaches us that your faith should have real consequences in this world. Uh, So James has offered us numerous practical examples to illustrate this point. His point here is that faith in Jesus should be lived out in this world. And so if you want some real world examples of what a Christian faith should look like, then spend some time in the book of James and he will teach you and he will mentor you. So chapter one, verses 12 through 18. James writes, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So let's go back, and we're going to break this down a little bit here. We've already stated that all of us have faced temptation, but James wants it to be very clear to us what the nature of temptation is all about and where it comes from. So if you're taking notes, number one is God is not the source of temptation. God is not the source of temptation. In verse 3, James said this, When tempted, no one should say, that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. See, I think it's a fallacy that a lot of people have believed over the years, and too too many people think that God is just up there wishing some people would fail so that it would be really easy to separate those people with strong faith away from those with a weaker faith. And that's not true. That's not God. God will never, God will never take pleasure in your failure. Never. That's not God's nature. God is never the one trying to trip us up. God is the one trying to pick us up. He doesn't trip us up. He picks us up. And God throughout all of his history has always been the one to offer his children a way out of the pit that we tend to dig for ourselves. So repeatedly, if we go back through God's word, God's people missed up. God's people still today ignore the way that he wants us to live. And so now today and throughout the Bible, there's some pretty heavy consequences for disobeying God. And certainly, God's plan for you and for me and for the Israelites, his his people throughout his story, he placed them in in places where temptations overflowed, but it was never God. It was never God that kind of dangled that sin carrot in front of their face and said, oh, I just hope that they mess up. It would make my job so much easier. That's not God. God never has done that. In fact, just the opposite. God knew they'd mess up. He knew that they would mess up. He knew they had this inability to keep their side of the bargain. But God loved them enough to enter into a covenant with them anyway. And God has always been the one to give his people a way forward. He's always been the one to give us a way out. And he, today, through the Holy Spirit, gives us ways to avoid the trouble that we tend to get ourselves into. He has front-loaded us with the ability to resist temptation, to avoid it. Not just the ability to resist it, but he's given us the wisdom. He's given us the knowledge to avoid it in the first place. So God is not the reason for our temptation. Temptation is part of this fallen world. And therefore, temptation is something that we all face. So therefore, write number two down. It is not a sin to be tempted. Some of you just take a big, deep breath right now, okay? You just had a big weight lifted off of your your, uh, chest, You're not sinning if you're tempted. Being tempted isn't the sin. Now, I I would say, I could make a pretty good argument, that if you allow yourself to get too close to what tempts you, if you fail to make a proper moral margin, then you're probably guilty of a sin of negligence. You see, I believe that sin comes in how we respond to those temptations. That's where we cross the line. We're tempted every day, somehow and in some way. For example, have any of you come across somebody that was rude? Of course you have. Of course, of course you have. Probably somebody is rude every single day. Now, how do you respond to that? I I didn't ask how you want to respond to that rude person, right? I would say that the desire to put that rude person in their place isn't the sin. But opening your mouth and removing all doubt, that's where we cross the line. That's the sin. We may be tempted to put them into place, but when we open our mouth and say something we shouldn't say, that's where we cross the line. You see the difference? See, temptations come in all aspects of life. Anybody here ever found a wallet left behind and lost by somebody? Being tempted to see how much cash is inside the wallet isn't the sin. Going and buying yourself a new TV with your new windfall. Now, there we have crossed the line, right? See, we're tempted every single day to do the wrong thing, every day. But thank God, he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And a Holy Spirit that can tell us, now wait a second. You don't have to do that. You you don't have to do what you're thinking about right now. So God is not testing your faith by sending you a series of temptations because being tempted isn't the sin. See, James said, "When, when tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So I looked that word up, um, enticed. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And that... Word "enticed" is an interesting word here in uh, the New Testament Greek. Uh, in Greek, it's the word "dila adzo." You don't know if I'm pronouncing it right either, so it's okay. So, okay. So basically, this is what that word means. It means bait. That it's really what it means. You are being baited. You, you are being tempted by that bait. It's the worm on the end of the fishing line. That's what that word means. And so it's Satan that is dangling that bait in front of you. And because of your own evil desires, that bait looks worth the bite. Even if you know, even if you know there is a hook inside of it. You don't have enough financial margin in your life? It's because the bait of having more and more and more and more stuff has been dangled in front of you and the bait seems worth the bite. See? You don't have enough time for important things in your life? It's because the bait is our culture saying a busy life is a blessed life. And we know that's not true. We know that's not true. We know that's not where our blessings come from, but the bait seems worth the bite. And in order to create a moral margin, we need a two-step process. See, moral margins need a heart margin and a physical margin. See, just like financial and time margins, we need to work on our physical margin and our heart margin. For example, if you want to spend more time with your family, you have to create first a heart margin where you want to spend more time with them, where you want to spend more time than any other endeavor, right? And then you have to physically create that margin, that time in your schedule, so you can be with them. For a moral margin, we need to create the desire to avoid the bait and the physical distance between you and the fishing pond. We need them both. If if you know that is where the baited hook hangs out, then don't go there. Don't go there. See, it's a mental or a spiritual approach and a physical approach to avoid the bait. So I want you to write these down. Just a few ideas here on how you can avoid the bait. Number one is to mentally replay in your mind the types of sin that you're in the habit of committing just replay those in your mind both of our boys uh, are involved with sports carol and i are still not sure where they got their athletic abilities but uh, both of them uh, enjoy sports and i noticed that both of their teams do something that we never did back when i was in high school and that's uh Whether it's wrestling or football or basketball, they always take game films. Even in high school, they're taking game films. There's always somebody with an iPad and they're filming the sporting event, right? Um, We didn't do that when I was in high school because the video recorder was the size of a microwave back then. And uh, nobody could do that. Uh, But each of my sons spends time in their practice and they spend time reviewing their game tape. They review their game tape or their past performance. I wonder. I wonder if somebody would follow you around with that iPad and then later on show you your game tape. What kind of things would you see played out in front of you? Would you see bad habits? Would you see those temptations that are constantly bombarding you? I bet you if you took a step back and you looked at those moments where that you're not really proud of, you'd clearly see that bait being dangled in front of you. So what was it that set you off? What situation did you get yourself into where the best the best scenario would have been just to run, just to to flee, just to distance yourself from that temptation in those circumstances. So ask yourself, what, what kind of sins am I in the habit of committing? Is it an anger issue? Is it a jealousy issue? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it envy? What types of sin are you prone to committing? And then number two, identify the situation that makes you vulnerable identify the situation that makes you vulnerable isn't an emotion what emotion is accompanying that that sin are you angry are you fearful maybe you're frustrated maybe you're lonely maybe you're tired is there an emotion that accompanies that sin And, and then also what's the setting Where are you at? Is it morning, is it afternoon, is it evening? Is it, uh, maybe you're tempted most at work or maybe it's when you're home. Where are you when that bait seems so overwhelming to you? And then also look at the people. Look at the people that you're with. When temptation is the strongest, who are you usually with? Are you alone? Or are you with a particular friend? Maybe a particular group of people? So secondly, identify the situation where you're most vulnerable. Three is plan to avoid those situations by creating margin. We've we uh, established that you know, there's been a lot of, of pastors and preachers that have preached something similar to this. And uh, Andy Stanley, who I, who I love to, to watch, he calls them guardrails, not necessarily margin. Um, we all know what a guardrail is, right? We all know what that guardrail is. Uh, some of us have plowed our car into a guardrail. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Just me? I don't know. Um, See, I wasn't really happy with the front end of my car was smashed by a guardrail, but I sure was thankful for the guardrail, right? Because it wasn't for the guardrail that would have saved me. I would have gone into the ditch on the other side. See, a guardrail in your life is set up when you say, I know I'm going to be tempted if I, or every time I go there, I end up Or every single time I'm hanging out with so-and-so, it never ends well. A guardrail is meant to keep you away from that temptation or that situation. It's there to help you stop from flirting with disaster and establishing some room to get some margin, some space in between you and that upcoming moral failure, to get away from it. See, I believe God gives us the ability to establish our own guardrails in our life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So if you find yourself getting way too close to that guardrail or like me and that former car that I used to have barreling into that guardrail at 50 miles an hour, remember that God is providing you a way out. And lastly, number four, remember that you belong to something far more important and much bigger. See, every single person here is part of God's grand plan to live into a kingdom that is not of this world, but it's breaking into this world in order to save others. The Lord tells us in James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, when you set up those margins in your life, when you avoid the temptation physically and in your heart, step back and just watch how much you're blessed. See, the temporary pleasure of sin will always be outweighed by an eternal blessing of righteousness, always. And eventually, eventually as your heart margin grows stronger, as your evil desire is replaced with a righteous desire to please God, your physical margin might be able to decrease. Because the evil desire of your heart is no longer as enticing as it was before. See, eventually that bait isn't going to be worth the bite. But until then, until you are ready for that, until then, remember your margin. Because God has given you, through his grace, the ability to physically distance yourself away from your temptation. So that your heart can heal first. And once your heart's desire matches the desire of your Savior, God will use what you have overcome for the greater good of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you, Jesus, that you have given us you have given us the ability to resist and overcome those evil desires. Lord, we we realize that in each of us is that original sin that we had all inherited. But greater than that is the power of your grace. Greater than any pull of sin is your power of grace. Greater than anything we would ever face, is your power to pull us away from it, to keep us separated from that temptation. So Lord, I pray for, first of all, that physical distance, that we need to put up those boundaries, set up those guardrails, make those margins wider so that we are away from those temptations. And then, Lord, that gives us the space for our heart to heal. And Lord, eventually, eventually we come to the to the uh, time when our heart has healed enough that we could get closer, that we can be with those people so we don't have to avoid them. But Lord, until that time, until that time, help us. Help us to increase that moral margin. Lord, there's some of us that are just really, really close to that guardrail and right on the other side is failure a moral failure lord help us to get as far away from that guardrail as possible whatever we need to do lord help us to do just that lord i, I pray that uh, you would be with all of us here today that you would help us to increase that that heart margin, that our desire would be to please you first, that we would always place you first, just like we talked about last week with our finances, that we would put you first in our morality as well. And Lord, may you be blessed through it. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do in the life of our congregation today. Those that are here, those that are watching online, thank you for bringing all of us here together today. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.